Good morning. I thought he was going to say a couple of other nice things about me, so I wasn't really ready to go. I see a lot of new faces in here today, which is great and such an unexpected surprise. I am delighted, and I wonder what God is up to with that. Uh, new people, I usually start sermons by saying this, and I really do mean it. It's not an accident that you're here today, especially with today's message. Um, I want to ask you all to do something for me really quickly because I want to know who I'm talking to. So everyone look at me, don't look at your neighbor. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to hold up a number between one to five. One being the lowest, five being the highest. I wanna know how you're doing today, just like where you are, scale of one to five. One is, I'm really hurting, I'm really struggling. Five is, I'm amazing, it's July 4th. Okay, ready? Hold up your numbers really quickly, look at me. Nobody else is looking at your number. Okay, great, thank you, so helpful. All right, well as Logan mentioned today, we are going to pick back up with our new sermon series, All Scripture. This is week two, we're gonna jump back into the book of 2 Timothy, and today we're going to look at chapter one, which is the opening of a letter from Paul to Timothy. So I'm going to read the passage that we're studying today, a heads up, it's going to be a little long, um, and you can follow along on the screen. You got me? You got me, brother? Okay. You can follow along on the screen, um, but first, let's quickly pray. Lord, we are gathered here in your name. Jesus, just as we sang, we love you. We want more of you. We've placed our hope in you. Holy Spirit, stir within us. Bring to life what you want us to know today. Teach us and heal us and help us. And it is in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Okay, so here's today's scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God that I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. 
That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Wow. Quite the opening to a letter. But this is not just any letter. There are 13 letters in the New Testament that we either directly or indirectly attribute to Paul. We call them the Pauline epistles. But this letter stands out because this is a letter between a mentor and his protege. I want you to catch that. This is a letter between a mentor and his protege. And I'm a huge fan of the mentor-protege relationship. It is my favorite kind of storyline found in the movies. And those movies usually go something like this. A wise older person takes a young naive soul underneath their wing and then guides and trains them so that they can overcome adversity and step into their destiny. You know exactly what kind of movie I'm talking about. The first kind of movie that I ever saw like this, where there's a mentor who helps his protege overcome difficulty, was The Karate Kid. And this movie absolutely blew my mind. I signed up for karate and I quit three weeks later, but it blew my mind. You have Mr. Miyagi, and he meets Daniel, and he trains him, and he teaches him karate so that Daniel can fight back against the bullies. And then at the end, they have this competition, and the guy kicks Daniel, and Daniel's injured, and he's limping on one leg, which leaves him with no choice but to hit old buddy with the crane move, which I'm not going to do today because I don't want to go to urgent care. But it's so epic. And the movies like that just go on and on. You have Star Wars with Yoda and Luke, The Lord of the Rings, The Matrix. Without Morpheus, would Neo have realized he was the one? And they don't even have to be action movies per se. Um, you have Goodwill Hunting. Great movie, relationship between these two men where the younger person desperately needs guidance. Even the Lion King falls into this category. Yes, Mufasa is Simba's father, but he's also his mentor. And he's trying to show him what he needs to know to lead Pride Rock. And when he dies, we weep and we sob because we know there was still so much for Simba to learn. These characters, they face hardship. They have difficulty. Oftentimes, they find themselves alone, even though they are on the right path. They suffer. They are brought low, and they suffer. But eventually, they rise to the challenge. Eventually, they turn tragedy into triumphant opportunity because they trust the voice and what was taught to them from the very beginning. Now, 
if it is true for a movie character that they are going to face hardship and suffer even when they're on the right track, it's even more true for the Christian. As Christians, we are going to serve God and do what's right and work hard and try our best and put our best foot forward and still we are going to suffer. Trouble is going to come our way. We're going to suffer. But every time we do, it's an opportunity for us to step forward in faith. And every time we do, it's an opportunity for us to hear the voice inside of us and push through. And just like in the movies, when you have been trained, when you know what to expect, the battle is halfway won. And so that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at this relationship between a mentor and his protege, between Paul and Timothy, because they are us and we are them. And I want to use their lives to look at the faith journey that all Christians make. What is Paul preparing Timothy for? And what is the Holy Spirit preparing you for? And so I want to look at this today in three parts, three parts which I've titled The Invitation, The Battle, and The End. So part one, The Invitation. Surely you remember how you first came to faith. Timothy's faith journey began just like most of those other movie characters. Timothy's faith journey actually began like every other Christian's faith journey begins, which is to say that it began with an invitation. I want you for a moment to imagine the entire body of Christ, everyone who's ever lived, who considers themselves to be a Christian, sitting at one large table. We'll call it God's table. So everyone all around the world, dead or alive, all of these Christians sitting at one huge table. We have different ages, we have different backgrounds, we have different roles in life, but all of us, because we are all believers, we're all at that table. Now what's interesting about this table is that out of all of those people, not one person was forced to be there. Everyone is there, you are there, I'm there, Paul is there, Timothy is there, because we've accepted an invitation. And the invitation is this. You can stay as you are, or you can step into something greater. More specifically, the invitation is to put your faith into Christ Jesus. And that's fairly simple. But what brings us to the point of accepting the invitation is never simple. Paul accepted the invitation because he was struck blind and he had an actual encounter with Jesus Christ. Timothy grew up in a household that knew God and he came to faith later when he met Paul. I came to faith as a child. I always believed from a very young age but I didn't get serious about it until I was older and my life was very broken. And then for you, 
I don't know what brought you to the point of accepting the invitation. But what I do know is that we all came in search of, as the Samaritan woman put it, a man who told me everything I ever did, and he still looked beyond it. Most of us came to the point of accepting the invitation because we needed help, because we were carrying pain, because we were frustrated, because we had guilt, because we had habits. But also, just like those movie characters, we had within us a belief somewhere inside that we were meant for something more. That we were not meant to just live and die. We were not meant to just think about ourselves all the time. We weren't meant to be stressed out, to feel frustrated, to be running from our fear, to be running from ourselves all the time. Somewhere inside of us was and still is an idea that we can be calmer, stronger, more loving, more peaceful people, and that God can make us into just that. And so what happens is we say yes to this invitation. We sign up and we sign on and we say yes to God's love and yes to God's beauty and yes to God's forgiveness. And then amazingly, after we say yes, we find that we're not alone. There are other people who have come in search of help. Other imperfect people who are complicated and have complicated histories. And if we're smart, we build community with those people. And that's where Paul and Timothy meet. That's where we all meet at the table. The people with whom we build community after we say yes to the invitation then do for us what Paul did for Timothy. They offer us friendship. They remind us not of who we used to be, but who we are now, who God says we are. They help shape us into our new selves. They help affirm our new God-given identity. And so we begin to spend our Sundays with them. And we spend our time with the Lord. And we spend our time in the Word. And we let it show us more and more of who we really are. And then one day we look up and we realize the invitation wasn't just for us, wasn't just so we could experience relief, wasn't just so we could be surrounded by other Christians. The invitation was for others. Not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. And so we serve and we pray and we learn about our spiritual gifts for the benefit of others. And we love it. We have Jesus, and we have God, and we have the Holy Spirit. We have our purpose and our people, just like Timothy had Paul, and we feel fulfilled because at last we have found what we were truly looking for. But that's just the beginning. That's just the invitation. After that, comes the battle. Part two, the battle. The battle comes to us 
Rarely do we go out looking for a fight. Humans are not wired that way. We are usually minding our business. We're minding our Bibles. We have our heads down whenever disaster and calamity seems to strike. It could be internal or external, could be triggered by the death of someone that you love, could be triggered by another type of significant loss, could be something that feels justified, the consequence of something you had already done, or it could be completely unexpected and undeserved. But the battle begins whenever our expectations are not met. Whenever what we thought was going to happen, or who we thought we were going to be, or who we thought someone was going to be for us, whenever that does not come to pass. And for Timothy, that's what this moment is. Trouble is here. Calamity is here. Disaster has struck. His life was not supposed to be this way. For a little bit of background, Timothy met Paul when Paul was on his second ministry trip, okay? Paul had already been around a large region. He had already planted several successful churches, and he met Timothy on his second round of going around. And when Timothy met Paul, things were not perfect, but Paul was on his way. And Paul said, hey, I like this guy. I knew your mom and your grandmother. Come with me. I'm going to disciple you. And so they have a very successful start from where Timothy is standing. Timothy becomes Paul's assistant. He becomes a leader in the church. And eventually he grows to such a good reputation that Timothy becomes the guy that Paul sends whenever Paul can't go somewhere. So people say, okay, Paul, you know, come over here, start a church. Come over here and clarify this for us. Paul says, I'm so sorry, I can't be there. Take the next best thing, take my son Timothy. And so like I said, not always perfect. Of course, there are bumps in the road, but they're co-laboring, they're bringing people to Christ. But at this moment, and I really want you for yourselves to go back and read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because at this moment, things are very different. Paul is now in prison. And we understand and we think of prison in a different way than they did at this time. Today we understand there are some serious criminals in prison. But we also understand that there are people that have made grave mistakes that have changed their ways, that know the Lord, that are ready to come back out and enter society and have a second chance. But in Rome at this time, there are few things more shameful than prison. There's really no comeback from it. This is like the greatest shame. And so in Timothy's world, everything has fallen apart. Just imagine you leave your job the job you have now, and you go to work for a new startup with a brilliant founder, and they have this great product. And the product is selling and selling and selling, and everybody wants to be a part of the company, and you're being interviewed on morning talk shows, and things are just going great, and then the founder goes to prison. How many people want to buy your product now? How many people want to invest in your company? 
Can a company even survive a scandal like that? Not to mention that the government wants to kill them. You have to remember, Paul is in prison, not by choice, but because the Roman government has said, we will not allow you to continue to spread this message, and if you do, we will kill you. And spoiler alert, they kill him. You know that's how Paul dies, right? They kill him. So it's not a joke. It's truly life or death for them. And now, with everything I just told you, Timothy is expected to pastor and do the work of what used to be a huge team by himself. The shame, the embarrassment, the fear, the struggle is so real. He wants to quit. But Paul is saying, no, no, Timothy, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. This is why we trained. This is why we got in the word. This is why we prayed. This is your opportunity. See, this is your opportunity. And we know that that won't be easy for Timothy because it's not easy for us. We accept the invitation and we think we understand the assignment and we think we're gonna train and be strong, but we don't realize that we're training for a battle. We're going to suffer. Every person in this room, in the back, in the front, every person in this room is currently or will experience the same type of shame and a sense of personal failure at some point in time. We will be persecuted. Now, by the grace of God, we're not being persecuted for our faith in this country. Pray for those that are. But we will experience persecution from the enemy of our souls. When I'm in the middle of these battles, I don't want to see them as opportunities. I just want it to stop. I just want to be free from my own pain. I just want it to be over with. But it can't just be an opportunity when it suits you. That's what the culture says. The culture says it's an opportunity when it's something that's going to benefit you in the short run. But sometimes opportunity shows up in the worst forms. Sometimes your opportunity will come to you disguised in hardship and heartache. What obstacle, what disappointment is causing you to be ashamed that you put your faith in Christ instead of just fixing it yourself? What's causing you to lose faith? And whose voice are you listening to? We have to stop thinking of battles and suffering as personal failure. We have to stop treating our battles as if the ministry or the personal transformation that you know you've experienced is no longer working.
Just because you're having a hard time doesn't mean that you're being punished by God or that you're outside of his love. And so rather than letting the culture absorb your opportunity, because they'll say it's worthless, they'll say it can't be redeemed, rather than letting the culture co-opt your opportunity, take your opportunity back because this is your moment to grow, to stretch, to know the Father more, to make an impact, Take your opportunity back, put it into God's narrative, and ask yourself, how is God using this moment in his story? As I heard a brilliant pastor say, Jesus says, I set before you an open door, not a finished script. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed to suffer. I know why I trained. I know who God is. And I know how it's going to end. Part three, the end. So Paul says he's not ashamed to suffer because he knows who God is. He says, the one in whom I have believed and the one in whom I trust. And he says that he believes God will guard his life because he has given his life back to God. And let me tell you something. It takes a lot to be able to say that. And that is why everyone needs spiritual mentors, spiritual coaches. Everybody needs somebody in their life who's a little bit further along. They don't necessarily have to be older than you or even significantly older than you. But somebody in your life who loves you, who believes in you, who's going to be able to help you see your blind spots because we all have areas where we need to grow. Somebody who's going to be able to say to you, hey, look, get back on the path. There is so much growth that happens in the personal relationships in the kingdom of God. And this is why we don't give up on people. We keep walking alongside them. They are worth the investment. You need people like Paul who can say, hey, this is how I made it. This is what happened to me when I went before the judge, when I was in prison, when I got shipwrecked. People who can say to you, I know everything in your life is a mess right now. You're hurting and you're broken. But God did not give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. People who are able to say, remember that you that we will suffer, but we can make it through by the power of God. If you get nothing else from me today, please take this with you. Three months into the future, I just have a sense. Whenever things get hard for you, if they're not hard right now, when you're in the middle of a battle, remember, you say to yourself, I may not be in control, but I'm not powerless. I just say that quietly to yourself. I may not be in control, but I'm not powerless. Remember that the power of God will not always remove problems.
Think to yourself, okay, well, that's nice. I don't have anybody to remind me of this. Oh, but you do. You do. God has thought this whole thing through. He thought this salvation plan through from start to finish. Now, if you recall, Jesus said, I got to go. It's above me now. It's above me now. I got to go. But when I go, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to remind you of who I am and what I said and how to get through. And you're going to be in him and you're going to be in me and I'm going to be in the Father and we're all going to be in the Father. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the ultimate mentor. His voice reminding you who Christ is, reminding you go through the training, take it step by step, take it day by day, don't give up. You have the Holy Spirit, so seize your moment, seize your opportunity. I know it's not easy. I know when you get sidelined, when you feel like you're in a spiritual timeout, when you feel like it's not fair, it's not right, don't waste it. That's your opportunity. So with the time I have left, I just want to give you three quick things to do, things that Paul is saying to Timothy, things that I've lived out, I found them to be true when you are in a battle. Three things to do. Number one, pray. I know. You may not feel like praying, but prayer doesn't have to be long, just honest. And after you pray, after you take a few minutes to just pour your heart out to God, he can take it. Sit in silence for two to three minutes. If you're not used to doing that, two to three minutes can feel like an eternity, but try it anyway. And a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I didn't like it because I didn't hear anything. I, I listened, I'm listening for God's voice, but I didn't hear him say anything. That's okay. He doesn't have to talk for you to get the benefit of being in his presence. It's for you to come out of that moment changed, not for you to necessarily have to hear the next set of instructions. Janet Hatberg says, Jesus will reveal himself more fully to those who stick with him when all else seems useless. It's the perfect moment to go to Jesus. Number two, visualize what you want to happen next. And when I say visualize, I don't mean like just make a vision board. I actually mean the opposite. I mean take out a piece of paper and journal out a prayer to the Lord of what you want to happen next. You're in a moment that you don't like. There's hardship. You're suffering. Okay, so what would wholeness and peace look like on the other side? And you do that for a couple of reasons. One, because whatever is going to happen next is going to grow out of this moment. You're going to go into the next moment with what you've developed here. And so when you have a sense of this is where I'm going, this is where I want to go, you have a sense of what you're prepared to go through to get there. Your peace will increase. And number two, the best part about writing it down is that when God delivers you, 
when he brings you to the green pasture and the still waters, now you have a record. You have something to remember what he did for you. And why do you need to remember what he did for you? Because you'll be going into another battle. But now you know. He's not going to let you down. And then number three, something that I feel Paul is saying here as well, is decide to make this into your opportunity. Much easier said than done. The amount of time that you have left in the battle is not what matters. It's what you're going to do with it. Paul is writing this from prison, which isn't even a cell. Prison back then, or the one he's in now, is literally a hole in the ground with a hole at the top where they just lower food in and out. No sanitation, no fresh air, no like clean linen, just the most horrible conditions. He could have just sat down and given up, but instead he makes the most of this opportunity to write to Timothy. He uses every second on the clock until it runs out. He has his eye on the end, the real end, which is a reunion with God. Same place Jesus had his eye on the real end, a reunion with God. Make the most of the time that you have since you're going to be here. And if you're not in the middle of a battle, you're doing great. Everything is really great for you right now. That's wonderful. Find your Timothy. Do for somebody else what has been done for you. Go pull somebody else up. Go pull somebody else out of their hole so that they can be standing with you and do that for someone else. When we picture God, sometimes we tend to picture him so far away. It's like, God, do you even see what I'm going through? Like, do you even understand how much pain I'm currently in? Do you understand how miserable I am? And he does, because he's not far away. He's very close. We tend to picture God so perfectly dressed and in this perfect environment and so pristine and he is there and he is that but before all of that he was on the cross and he died a very messy very hard death to ensure that when you and I are in the middle of our battles and we're suffering they won't last for always and to ensure that our story, though far from being done, will end well. Let's pray. Lord, you are the author of our story. I want to give you the pen back today. For you could write something that is far better than we could ever come up with. You can figure out a way to redeem everything 
that we have going on. You can find a way to guide us into peace and quiet and stillness. You can always find a way. You did and you have. Lord Jesus, guide us. Help us return back to your voice over and over again. Help us to remember what you have trained us to do. Help us to remember the beauty of the invitation. Help us to remember the worth of the battle. And help us to look forward in joyful expectation to the end, to a, a reunion with you. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. It's in your name that we place our hope and our faith. Amen.